Over the next few weeks, we are going to be taking a look at the theme of justice and how do we live out biblical justice in the world today. And the approach that we're taking as we do that is we're going to be looking at it through the eyes and through the lens of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may remember that the parable of the Good Samaritan was one that was given uh, by Jesus in response to a question that the lawyer asked. There was a lawyer who stood up and he tested, he wanted to test Jesus. And so he asked him this famous question, who is my neighbor? Here now, the conversation between the lawyer and the teacher, Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? What do you read there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and neighbor as yourself. You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Who is my neighbor? A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. him and stripped him and went away leaving him half dead but by chance a priest happened to be coming down that road And when the priest saw the hurt man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite was traveling down that road. And when the Levite came to the place and he saw the hurt man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, drew near to the hurt man. He went to him and he had pity. He bandaged his wounds having poured oil and wine on them. And then he placed the man on his own animal. 
he took him to an end. The next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii coins and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him, take care of the man and when I return, I will repay you whatever more you have spent. So I ask you, which of these three was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy on us. Go and do likewise. This, this is, is the, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. The Good Samaritan is found in Luke 10, uh, verses uh, 25 through 37. So we'll be taking a look at uh, God's Word in those sections there. When I was in college, uh, often on the very first day of class, I was really uh, anxious to get the syllabus in my hand. Because I would get the syllabus in my hand, and there on the syllabus would be all the quizzes, the tests, and the assignments, and everything that was expected of me. And also along them would be the percentage of the grade that would be given for completing those assignments. And so then when I had that syllabus in my hand, I could look at, at what was expected, what the percentage of the grade was, and I could figure out exactly how much effort to give and exactly what I needed to do in order to pass the class. Now, I don't recommend that approach. I go all in and learn as much as you can. It's a valuable time while you're there in college. But that's how I made it through. And it was that type of thinking that I believe is found in the lawyer in today's parable. He wants Jesus to put a syllabus in front of him. You see, this lawyer that is here, uh, and when we think of lawyer, he is not a a civil or criminal attorney like we think of in our day today. Uh, but in the first century there in Jerusalem, 
usually they were an expert in the law of God because at that time the law of God didn't just deal with spiritual issues, but the law of God dealt with uh, all, a whole range of issues of how we not only deal with God, how we keep ourselves pure and righteous, but how we respond to our brothers and sisters and our neighbors, how we live before the government and all kinds of things. And so, they, so the religious leaders were often the experts in the law. And so this man here is an expert in the religious law. And he comes to Jesus, and he wants to know one thing with the question that he asks Jesus. It's a question that many people stay, stayed up late, stayed up late at night discussing and, and dialoguing with one another, and that question was simple. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? There's a presupposition there behind the man's question that Jesus, if you can tell me A, B, C, and D, what needs to be done, which then leads to eternal life, I will make sure I do them because I want to be one who has eternal life. So Jesus, what's the syllabus? What's out there? What do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, in good rabbinic fashion of the day, does what all rabbis do when their students stand and ask them a question. Jesus responds with a question, which then usually is answered by a question and given another question. That's just sort of the, the Jewish way of learning there. And so, they ask, so Jesus asks him a simple question, and Jesus lobs it back to him, and he says, well, what does your law tell you? You give me a summary. What, what does the law tell you? And the lawyer does a, a fabulous job because he goes right to the heart of the Jewish faith and he gives the Shema. The Shema is what uh, all Jewish people have memorized and learned from the time of the Exodus. Moving forward, they have memorized it. They say it twice a day. The Lord our God is one. And we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And this guy goes for a little extra credit and adds Leviticus 19.18 and says, and you shall also love your neighbor. Great answer, right? In fact, Jesus even commends him for it. Uh, Jesus says to him, he says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Round one is done. The guy should have just stepped away. It was a good encounter. But he doesn't step away after round one, does he? He goes in for round two with Jesus. Big mistake. Because we see that he has a particular motive. If we look at verse 29, we can see what the man's motive is here. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove himself as worthy of that A. He wanted to prove himself as that he made it, that he has arrived and he had eternal life. And everybody around him would know as he stands there today interacting with Rabbi Jesus, who has eternal life? It's me. Look at me. I've talked to the rabbi, I asked him how you get eternal life, he told me how you get eternal life, and, well, I have it, everyone. Thank you very much. He wanted to justify himself. And so what he does is he lobs a nice flow one back to Jesus. A question that he knows he can, he can deal with. 
question that he knows he's succeeded. He's going to ask Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he knows that in, 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 that, in, in his society in that day, that his neighbor were Jews just like him. That's who my neighbors are. All the faithful Jews who are following the Torah, who are following the law, they're my neighbor. And I've loved them. My neighbor certainly is not the Gentiles, right? They're outside of the law. They're outside of the, the rule of God. They're, they're sinners, right? Certainly my neighbor is not sinners and tax collectors because they're very far from God. They're out. And also the Samaritans, they're out as well. Those half-breeds, we haven't got along with them for 700 years. They're out. But I know. I know who my neighbors are. I know who they are. They're right here, the Jews. And you know what I've done? I've been a neighbor to all of them. And so I'm going to ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And as soon as he says, the Jews around you, I'm going to go, I did that. I'm in. I have eternal life. And so he says to Jesus, he's all excited. He goes, and who is my neighbor? Waiting to justify himself. And then Jesus answers with a story. And in that story, Jesus flips everything on its head in regard to this question. This story is what we would call a threefold pattern story. And Jesus uses this pattern here to teach. And the first thing that Jesus says in this story is he says that a man went down from, from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this just shows that Luke knows what he is talking about. That this story that the Bible is rooted in the geography and the land of the day, because you can see on the map, I forgot my little pointer, but down in this corner over here, Jericho, just above the Dead Sea, and you can see the road that heads up to Jerusalem. That's the road that we're talking about, that you would travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 15-mile road. So you look at that and you go, that's not so bad, a 15-mile road, until you consider the elevation in Israel. Here's a picture of the elevation. You can see over on, on this side, we have the, the, the Mediterranean Sea, which then gives us the coast. The coast then moves up into what is called the Shephelah. It's the land just before the mountains. And then we get into the Judean mountains, way up high. And then suddenly we drop into the Judean desert, down into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on Earth. That's the topography of Israel going across the land. You can see the drop that goes on there. So if you look at how this road actually is played out on this slide here, you can see the journey. You start in Jerusalem, which is 4,000 feet higher than Jericho, and so you always go down to Jericho. Just as when you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up to see the Lord, up to see God. And so he's going down to Jerusalem, on, uh, down to Jericho on this road. And so when he's just saying, this is very simple, right? He says, a man went, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They're trying to believe that you know all of this information. Just as if I were to say for you today, you drove from Grand Rapids to Chicago. You would know exactly what that road looks like. You would know if it's winter, you might catch some snow as you go around the corner. You know certainly you're going to catch traffic as you head into Chicago. You know exactly what that road is going to look like. And this road is that same way. Everybody knew what it looked like. 
It is a hot, you can see on this slide, it is a hot, dusty, dirty road. And when you think of road, it's really not much more than a path. This is still the path today. This is from the very uh, first trip that Amy and I went on to Jerusalem where we actually could walk on part of this Jericho road. It's hot, it's dusty, it's windy, uh, it's not pleasant, and most of all on this road is one that everybody knew you didn't go alone. Because if you went alone, some robbers could attack you, right? The robbers could attack you, and that's exactly what happened in this story. So it was like, we know that, right? Jesus says a man went down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Oh my goodness, he's by himself. We know what that road looks like. It's not a good road. And some robbers attacked him. Of course they did. Nobody goes down that road alone. It's not safe. And so he went down this road where some robbers, Luke records, says they they beat him, stripped him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's an important detail. Because if the man is stripped, he cannot be identified by his clothing. In a society, excuse me, where your clothing marked off who you were, you could tell by looking at somebody's clothing where in society they stood, what kind of job they had, what nationality they were. Their clothing was a giveaway to who they were and what they were like. If you listen to them talk, you could hear their accents. You would know where they were from immediately. You would know who's in your circle and who's outside of your circle. But this man is just laying there. He's stripped. He's beaten. He's half dead. He is just a raw human laying there. We have no idea. Nothing to identify him with. So as we come up to him, we don't know if he's in or if he's out. We don't know if he's like me or if he's not like me. But there he lays. Stripped, beaten, and half dead. But oh my goodness, such good news in this story, isn't it? Such good news because on the very day where this man was stripped and beaten by chance, it just so happens, oh good fortune for this man, says Jesus, a priest was coming down the road. Oh, hallelujah, God in his sovereignty on this very day where a man was beaten, good for this man, little did he know how much God was with him. That on this very day he was beaten, a priest would be coming down the road. The priest, the top man of God. This is the upper echelon of the religious faith, a priest. This is the one who stood between the people and God. He's the one that made atonement for our sins. This is a man who knew the very heart of God, and he is coming down the path today. Oh, what a good chance for this man. This guy should know the law. But when he sees the man, he passes by on the other side. Now remember, he's going what direction? Down to Jericho, from Jerusalem, down to Jericho. He's not going up to the temple to serve as a priest, which they did. They would serve for two weeks on, and then they would be off. And in fact, they believe there was 24 divisions of priests who would serve every two weeks. And over half of them, they believe, lived in Jericho. So he's on his way home. He's already served. So if he touches this man, which we know from Leviticus, if you touch a dead body, you are then rendered impure and unclean. That would be a bad deal for him if he was heading up to the temple, right? To do his service, because then he couldn't do it. 
because I'm unclean and I got to take these days off and I got to purify myself again. But he's heading down. He's going home. So, yes, cleanliness matters. But the law also says that if there is somebody who is in need of help, you need to help them. And the law says if it's a Jewish person and they're dead, even though you become unclean, your obligation is to bury them. He, obje- he, he, just, he just denies all of that, and he just steps aside and ignores the man altogether. Well, good thing we have the Levite coming down the road, right? As Jesus tells this story, remember I said it's a three-part story? You would expect it goes from greater to lesser, just like when we tell a three-part story today, we often talk about the baker, the butcher, the candlestick maker, or we say, hey, three guys walked into a bar, and the first guy says, second guy says, third guy says. All right, Jesus is telling the same kind of story. The first guy came down as a priest. Well, okay, we get it. Most people would say, okay, we get that the priest didn't help him. Priests, they're, they're pretty special. And we, and we don't, we, we get that he didn't want to uh, get himself unclean in any way, shape, or form. So a Levite is coming. They're the workers in the temple, right? They're the workers. They know the law, but they're kind of like the second tier in there. They, they guard the gates. Uh, they do some of the sacrifices. Uh, they are the clerics in the, in the temple. They clean the temple, and they lead the worship in the temple. That's what the, that's what the Levites do. And so good, the Levite is coming along. He knows the law, he knows the rule, he'll take care of the man. But when the Levite came to the place and he saw the man, he too went by on the other side. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, Jesus, we know where your story's going now. Wasn't the priest, wasn't the Levite. Now a good Jewish person is coming along because that's what all good Jewish people do. They would stop and help. And so they're expecting Jesus to say a Jewish person. And if Jesus really wanted to mix it up, he could say a peasant Jew. He could really throw him for a loop in there. So we had the priest, didn't help. We had the Levite, didn't help. And Jesus says, but now a Samaritan came down. What? What? A Samaritan? How could you say a Samaritan, Jesus? How could you make a Samaritan? We know where this is going. You're going to make him the hero of the story. Nobody, nobody valued Samaritans. In fact, in this day, you could smear them in any way you wanted. You could say anything ugly about them. You could, you could rip them down in any way, shape, or form. You could use any vulgarity about Samaritans because everybody just knew it was true. It was true of those Samaritans. For 700 years we've been at war with these Samaritans. We think our racial divisions are deep. With 200 years, this is 700 years. And just so if we go behind this, you can see the area of Samaria is the, the light blue area in the middle. That light blue area is Samaria. And so essentially Israel was divided into three parts. We had the Galilee region where Jesus did most of his miracles, where Jesus hung out most of the time. And then we had the Judea region which had Jerusalem and the temple. And in between we had Samaria. And you know what? You never went to Samaria. You never went through Samaria. In fact, a Jew, if they had a choice, they would go over to the Jordan River, walk along the riverbank, and then head back inland. Because you didn't want to go into Samaria. Because those Samaritans, 
They were half-breeds and pagan worshipers. If you think back to the story in the Old Testament of uh, the time where King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in to God's people and he took them into exile. Remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These were all the cream of the crop people. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He did sort of like a fruit basket upset. He would take all the cream of the crop people, like Daniel and all the nobles and all the uh, trades people and all the people of value, he would take all of them, move them into Babylon over here, leaving behind the elderly, the sick, the poor, the peasants. And then what he would take from his land, the riffraff from his land, and move them into land over here. So now, if these people are going to marry and they're going to establish relationships, who do they have available? Well, these people that were imported. So they begin to intermarry. And they become half-breeds. They're not full Jewish people. And also, the Babylonians didn't worship one god. They worshiped lots of gods. So they brought their gods with them. And so pretty soon, we're worshiping one god and other gods. And you know how God feels about that. And so then 70 years later, when God's people come back into the land, over here is this whole new population of not pure Jews. It's half-breed people who are worshiping other gods, and these two collisions, they fight. This group goes to rebuild their temple. This group fights against them. And this group ends up building another temple at Mount Gerizim. Remember the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. She said, it's about worship. You worship in Jerusalem, we worship in Mount Gerizim. All right? That's the story. This division that has been going on, and so they would have nothing to do with them. It's entrenched, and I can't just describe to you how entrenched this is. I don't even know if we have an analogy for it today that goes deep enough between how much they despised and hated one another. And yet Jesus makes this Samaritan the hero of the story. Not the priest, not the Levite. Can you imagine how this hit the ears of the people? I mean, just how shocking this would have been? But that's what Jesus was trying to do, wasn't it? He was getting them to live according to the ways of the kingdom of God, and it's different than the ways of the world. And so he had to shock them into it, and he sets up the Samaritan to be the hero of the story, and we have the Samaritan who essentially by the one that actually stopped to help this, this man who was on the road, the Samaritan is living as if he loves God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, and he is reaching out to the neighbor. It's the Samaritan who looks like he's the one who has eternal life, not the priest, not the Levite. And it's shocking. It's shocking to them. And then Jesus flips it all on his head, everything on his head and he asked the man in the question he says who notice how he says it was the neighbor to the man in need which of these three was the neighbor to the man in need you see I think this really when I was thinking about this this week I think what what was going on here is that the, the, the teacher of the law, he wanted Jesus to do something pretty simple for him. He wanted him to decide, who's my neighbor? And so what he wanted Jesus to do was give people a little name tag and say, well, you know what, this guy here is a neighbor, 
This woman here, she is a neighbor, all right? She's a neighbor, and you're a neighbor, and you want to know who the neighbors were. And so if somebody had a need and come to me, I could go, well, I know who I got to help, right? I, I got to help him, help her, her, him. And if I help them, I'm in. I'm in. I followed the syllabus. Check, 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 check. I must have eternal life. I did exactly what God wants me to do. I showed God that I love him and that I love other people because my neighbors, you got, you got a need? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm here. I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you. But that's not what Jesus did, did it? He took all the name tags back, and he said it's not about who is your neighbor. Rather, Jesus says, who was the neighbor. The name tag is not on the people there. It's not on that community over there. It's not on that group over there. Where we find the label is on you. This is your identity. If you're living in the kingdom of God and you love God and you're overflowing with a gratitude of love for God, what he's done, this God who loved the whole world, if you love that God, and he is implanted in you, then the fruit of your life is that you are going to be a neighbor to all people. You are the neighbor. Do you see how Jesus twisted that story? See how Jesus twisted that at the end? You want to draw the boundaries. You want to say, here it is, they're in, and as long as I meet in these boundaries, I'm good, I'm a neighbor. But Jesus is saying, uh-uh-uh. You're a neighbor. Now, Whoever in this world has a need, whoever has a need, even if they're not in this little circle, you have to be a neighbor. You have to be a neighbor. That's who the people of God are. We are neighbors to the world. Neighbors to the world. Wait a minute, Pastor Bob. You mean I'm a neighbor to the people who live in the blue states? And I'm a neighbor to the people who live in the red states? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm a neighbor even to the people who are trying to get in across our borders? Would I be a, would I be a neighbor to, to them? Those people from, from Mexico? Those people coming in, trying to get in from, from Haiti? Those, those people from Syria? Am I, am I a neighbor to them? Is that what you're saying? Am I, am I a neighbor to the to the people who are living on welfare and the people who are billionaires squeezing money? Am I a neighbor to both of them at the same time? You see where this is going? We could continue to do this all day long because what Jesus comes in is he smashes every one of our borders that we create around us. And so I just want to challenge you to think in response to this story, what are those boundaries that you have put around you and said, these are my neighbors. These are the people that I love. These are the people that I will serve. And you know what? As a saintly person of God, I do a good job. I, do, I knock it out of the ballpark caring for these people. But what about these people? And what about these people? And what about these people? And what about those people? Do you love them? Because unless I'm reading this story wrong, that's exactly who Jesus says we need to be. We need to be a people who smash down our boundaries and that we love all people because all people need the Lord. Jesus said to him, Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew, 
Matthew 25, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, he says, you've heard it, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the thinking. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What marks us as God's people, God's children? That we even love our enemies. If you love those who love you, says Jesus, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be righteous. Do the right thing. Smash down those borders. Love all people. Do the right thing, even as your heavenly Father is righteous. That's who we are. And I think that's the takeaway from our story today. And as we begin to be people who truly live out God's call to, to, to love uh, justice and to act with mercy, and as we walk humbly with God, we need to be serious about knocking down any of these borders, any of these boundaries that we have put up between us and other people, to say they're in, we'll serve them, but we won't serve them. That's not who we are. We are people who serve all people. We are people who serve the world. And if you're sitting there with a boundary going, yeah, but pastor, I just cannot find it within me to serve that kind of person. There is no way I can love those people. There's not a chance. I mean, you can't possibly, that would not even be Christ-like. Would it for me to have to love those people who are walking so far? Would you expect me to love those? If any of those thoughts start coming into our head, we need to do exactly what Paul encouraged us to do. He says we need to demolish those thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish them. And our minds are getting full of this boundary creating just look at what's going out there on social media and Facebook and Twitter. They're in, they're out, we're against them, we're for them. They're up, they're down. How dare you? We go after and we fight. That's not the people of God. The people of God have no boundaries because all people are made in the very image of God. They all carry the image of God. And our God created them, and our God loves them, they may not be like us, but God calls us his children who are his ambassadors in this world to represent him in this world. And what would our God do if he saw any person laying in the road, beaten and stripped naked? What would he do? He'd help him. There's not a chance ever, ever, God would walk on the other side. It may be said of us that we, God's church, God's people never walk on the other side of anyone who is in need of mercy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for your word, which continues to guide us and uh, lead us into what it looks like to be your people, because it is tough in our world to sometimes know what that looks like. But here, Jesus gives us a picture and God, we want to live into that picture. And so I ask in this morning hour, you would begin to stir in our hearts and our lives and 
you would just break us and uh, reshape us to be a people who live and, and uh, go about our lives with a great love for people. Not putting up boundaries, not putting up walls, but rather, God, we're the ones that are drawing near. We're the ones that are stooping. We are the ones that are helping. Because that is your character. That is who you are. And we see the full extent of that when you went to the cross for all of those who loved you and who rejected you. And yet you served them to the full extent. It's a hard one to embody, God, but may we do it in this very day. We ask that we keep our eyes focused on those in this world and send your spirit to nudge us, to guide us, to resource us, to know how it is we can help and serve to make this world look more 